Welcome to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Join us in person for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m. For more information about Covenant, including discipleship and mission opportunities, visit us at www.covenantpresjackson.org. John the Baptist was handed over. John was arrested. The ministry of John was complete. It was over. And Jesus began his ministry. The one whom John said was greater than he, the one whom John said he was not worthy to be his slave. The Messiah, the Spirit-filled Christ, the beloved Son of God, begins his ministry. And how does Jesus begin his ministry? Well, not with miracles, not with signs and wonders, not with lightning and thunder, not with Holy Ghost fire, but preaching. Jesus preaches. Jesus preaches the gospel of God. Jesus proclaims the good news of God. Throughout the history of the church, there has been talk, there's been discussion, there's been question on why a sermon? Why do we need preaching in a service of worship? Why can't we just sing praises to God and pray? Why does somebody have to, to talk? Now, there have been some periods in church history where sermons were not part of the regular service of worship, and these were usually in periods of struggle like, like the Middle Ages. But why preaching? Why, why a sermon? Well, the short answer is this. Jesus preached. Jesus began his ministry with preaching. Jesus continued to preach throughout his ministry, and the church simply follows in the footsteps of our Lord. In other words, we continue the ministry of Jesus. The gospel of God is preached. The good news of God is proclaimed just like Jesus. And what is that good news? What is that gospel? What did Jesus preach? In verse 15, Jesus begins by saying this, the time is fulfilled. Well, Jesus begins by talking about time. Now, we have one English word for time. But those precise Greeks had two words. In Greek, there are two words for time. The first word is chronos. This is progressive time. This is the march of time. This is measured time. This is the, the moving hands of the watch, the changing pages of the calendar. The second is kairos. Kairos is not measured. Kairos is a critical moment in time, an opportune moment in time. As my Professor Clifton Black put it, Kairos is not any day, it's D-Day. It's not any hour, but the hour that an expectant mother gives birth. Paul speaks of it, the Apostle Paul speaks of it as the fullness of time. Kairos time results from God's providence. Kairos results from God's timing. Now, Kronos, you'll, you'll find it in Luke's gospel at the beginning of Luke's gospel. Right before Jesus begins his ministry, Luke writes this in chapter 3. 
In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Etria and Trachonitis and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Well, this is chronology. This is measured. Luke wants to give you an exact time. Luke wants to locate Jesus' ministry in history. Well, Mark isn't interested in that. Mark's not interested in giving you a date on the calendar. Mark wants you to see this from God's perspective. When Jesus comes onto the scene, it's the right time, opportune time, God's time, providential time. The time is fulfilled. The fullness of time has come. And Jesus' preaching announces that this is the critical moment. This is the definitive moment of time, the moment that God has been building up to for centuries, the day that God's people have longed for. Jesus is saying, it's here. It's now. And Jesus announces, he preaches, what is here? What is now? He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And we need to pause here for just a minute to talk about the kingdom of God. Now, as we'll see in our study of Mark's gospel, the kingdom is central to Jesus' teaching. Parable after parable is used by Jesus to explain the kingdom. So what is it? What's the kingdom? Now, the simple answer is that the kingdom of God is where God reigns and rules. It's where God is Lord. It's where God is sovereign, where God is king. Now, if God is God, if God is almighty, if God is all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign, isn't all of creation his kingdom? Isn't God's kingdom everywhere? Now, why does Jesus need to say that the kingdom is at hand? Doesn't God rule and reign simply by being God? Oh, yes. Of course he does. But it's not quite that simple. There are complications. And these complications are not surprises. These complications are nothing new. The first complication is Satan. Satan, the accuser. Satan, the evil one. The one who tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Now, the scriptures teach that Satan is opposed to God. Satan has rejected God's authority. He's rejected God as Lord and King. He's rejected God's kingdom, and he's set up his own kingdom. That's the first The second complication is sin, your sin, my sin. Sin is opposition to God. Sin is outside of God's will for our lives. Sin is going against God. It's it's any thought, any word, any deed that is contrary to God's design for your life, God's desire for your life. Therefore, sin is rebellion against God. It's rejecting God's lordship over your life. It's rejecting God's kingship over your life. It's rejecting God's rule over your life. In other words, sin is establishing yourself as king, as lord. It's establishing yourself as ruler over your own life. Sin is setting up the kingdom of yourself. It's putting yourself first. It's putting your wants first, your needs, your desires, your time first. In other words, it's, it's about you. And when you sin, when you set up the kingdom of yourself, when it becomes all about you, you alienate yourself from God. You estrange yourself from God. You break relationship with God. And not only that, 
sin also causes you to break relationship with those around you, hurt those around you, wound those around you. After all, it's about you, not God. It's about you, not your neighbor, not those around you, you. And then you die. Death is a result of sin. Death is the curse attached to sin. When you set up the kingdom of yourself, when you reject God, when you sin, you'll die. And there's nothing you can do to change it. There's nothing that you can do to escape it. Now, all of this describes individuals, but it describes groups. Groups also sin. Societies sin. Groups of people sin. Institutions sin. When, when groups of people sin, when societies sin, when institutions sin, then there is corruption and injustice and discrimination and oppression and war. It's the stuff of human history. It's current events. And the truth is, when you oppose God, when you rebel, when you establish the rule of your own kingdom, then you're really joining fortress. You're really joining forces with the kingdom of Satan. And here's the amazing thing. If you think about it, it's the amazing thing. God lets you do it. God lets you sin. God gives you freedom to sin. God gives you freedom to reject him. God allows you to reject his lordship, to deny his kingdom. He lets you lie. He lets you, he lets you keep anger in your heart. He lets you tear somebody down with your words. Does he have to? Well, no, God could make you obedient to him. God could force you to follow his will. God could constrain you to keep his law. Or he could administer swift and immediate punishment on you. He is, after all, God. But he doesn't want you to be a robot. He doesn't want you to be an automaton. He doesn't want you to be looking over your shoulder every minute of every day, wondering if you might get zapped, if you might get struck by lightning. No, God wants you to want to follow him. He wants you to want to please him. He wants you to want to live in his will. He wants you to love him freely from your heart. But you can't do that on your own. Your heart is too messed up. Your heart is too broken by sin because you've rejected God. You've rebelled against him. You've denied his kingdom. You're, you're under the power of the kingdom of the self. You're, you're under the power of the kingdom of Satan, under the power of death. And God knows this. He knows that you need help. He knows that the world needs help. And so he's come. Jesus has come. The time is right. The time is fulfilled. The time is now. D-Day, the kingdom of God is at hand in Jesus. Jesus brings the kingdom of God in his message, in his person. In Jesus, the kingdom of God breaks in he breaks into the kingdom of Satan. He breaks into the kingdom of the self. He breaks through the power of sin. He breaks through the power of death. Jesus has come to overcome. And through his death, he's overcome the evil one. He's, he's, he's broken the power of his kingdom. Through his death, he's overcome your sin, broken the power of the kingdom of the self. He breaks your alienation from God. He breaks your estrangement from God. And he reconciles you to the Father. 
making you a son, a daughter of the Father. Now, I mentioned this last week, but it's critical to see in Mark's gospel, the coming of Jesus, the inbreaking of the kingdom of God is an invasion. It's an incursion. It's an assault to destroy the kingdom of the evil one, to free you, to transform you, to save you, to make you part of God's kingdom, to bring you in so that God can rule your life, so that God can reign over your life, so that you can want him to, desire him to, so that you want to please him. Jesus came preaching the gospel. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. So what do you do? How do you respond? What Jesus tells you. Listen again to his words in verse 15. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus says, repent. Turn. That's what repenting is. Turn. Turn from your sin. Turn from your kingdom. Confess your sin. Turn to Jesus and believe. Have faith. Believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news. Have faith in Jesus, the God-man who's come to free you. Live in his kingdom. Live under his authority. and Give your life to him. Give your heart to him. Follow him. The time is opportune. He's come to free you, transform you, and make you part of his kingdom, his growing kingdom. And as individuals are changed by Jesus, groups of people are changed by Jesus, societies are changed, cultures are changed, transformed by Jesus for the kingdom of God. It can happen here. It can happen to you. It can happen to your neighborhood. It can happen in Jackson. Pray for it. The kingdom has come in Jesus, but it's not yet complete. It's already, and it's not yet. It's here, and it's growing. God is transforming through the kingdom, but it won't be complete till Jesus returns. Why? Because there's still sin. There's still corruption. There's still injustice and discrimination and oppression and war. And so Jesus taught us to pray, and you've got to continue to pray, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. When, when, whenever you're hurt by sin, whenever you see corruption or injustice or oppression or war, whenever you experience it, pray, thy kingdom come. It's a prayer based on a promise because the kingdom has come and it, and it will be fulfilled. That's the prayer that God bring to fruition, the kingdom that Jesus has brought, the kingdom that Jesus has brought in his person. So the church prays and the church preaches the gospel about Jesus. And we do it just like Jesus because he has brought the kingdom. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. 